Get your Bibles and uh, go ahead and start turning with me to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're also going to look in uh, Ephesians. And so you can kind of get your finger in uh, Ephesians there. And uh, But we're going to camp out in Deuteronomy 6. Wasn't it great having Brandon, one of our students uh, upstairs that's uh, in the EBC Youth, leading us this morning? Yeah, give him a round of applause. That was awesome. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that Brandon's leading us. We're talking today about going the distance and going the distance with our family. We're in the middle of a, uh, of this, this really, I don't know what else to call it, is a go-the-distance vision where we're talking about what God is doing in not only our church, but we talked last week about going the distance in our own individual faith. I want to talk to you about going the distance in our families today and what that looks like and what it means like. And as we are going through this process, in our church. Uh, we want to go the distance as a church. We're in the process of relocating out onto uh, Bailey Boswell Road where, where we had purchased. We have a lot of new folks here, so let me let you know. We purchased 12 acres of land out there. We paid it off this summer. Praise God. Uh, we were committed to doing that because we don't want to be uh, in a place financially where we can't do ministry to people and uh, because we're house poor, as, as you know, churches can get and people can get. We want to do ministry to people. We've always been committed to that. And so the, the next structure is, is just going to be a tool for us to continue to extend God's kingdom in our community. We're talking about what that looks like. We're not really talking about it much on Sunday morning. So we're inviting you to join us in what is called one of our dessert fellowships. Not only is it a great opportunity to have some incredible desserts and some great fellowship together, but what are we doing at those things? If you haven't signed up yet, I want to urge you to sign up. All it is, it's not a high-pressure thing in any kind of way. We're not asking for commitments at that. You're not, we're not asking people to do that. We don't function high-pressure. It's an informational thing. We want you to know what it is that your church is doing, whether you're, a, whether you're a tender, you're a member, maybe you're just wanting to check out what EBC is, where we're heading. If you're a guest, you're welcome to come to that. Um, we're going to talk about what this next phase in this, in this, or this next leg of the race looks like that we're running as a church. And uh, so we'll talk about what, what does it look like as our architects have prepared the, the next structure, the next phase that we're going into. What's it going to look like? Uh, another big important question we'll talk about is... What What's it going to cost? Big question that follows that one is, how are we going to pay for it? I mean, we got to know those kinds of things, right? We're going to talk about it. You can ask questions. It's an informal kind of time. And I cannot stress to you enough as your pastor, if you consider yourself a part of the EVC family, how important it is for you to get involved in one of those. Just come to one, okay? If you haven't signed up already, you've probably been getting emails or maybe you've gotten a phone call. Listen, those aren't telemarketers. Those are people in the body of Christ that are trying to get you to come to one of these because they are important. For you to understand where we're going as a church. And so I want to invite you. Again, it's not a, I'm not a high pressure guy. We just want to tell you about it. I trust this. I trust that this is what God is leading us to. And where God leads us, God provides. Amen. And God has done that always at EBC. He's going to continue doing that. And so sign up for one of those if you've not made it. There's 11 opportunities in the next 14, 15 days. Child care is provided for the ones that are here at EBC. And so uh, look, you can find that little uh, card in your bulletin and sign up. You can sign up online. You can call us, email us. We're just excited about all that God is doing. So, all right, go in the distance. I talked last week about how I love to run. I love running. I'm more of a distance kind of runner. I've never really been a sprinter. Um, I might have tried that a little bit, but it didn't ever really work, okay? And uh, so I'm more of a distance kind of guy. But I love watching relay races. I love watching the sprints. Those are exciting. I love, you know, truthfully, it's not really exciting to the end of a long-distance race when you're watching, right? Okay, but it's exciting when you see a sprint. It happens fast. However, uh, you know, that's not what life is typically life. It's like, it's more like a marathon, but it's, we're in this relay, but I love watching relays. I love watching the sprint relay. I love watching, you know, maybe the mile relay where someone will do a quarter and they pass it off there. It's, it's, it's exciting to watch that. I was never on the sprint relay team. I can't figure out why that didn't happen, 
but I never got invited to be a part of that. However, at Boswell, one year, we did have what was called the Fat Man Relay, and I got invited to be a part of that, okay? I don't know, but they, they, they made that a part of it, and so I was involved in a relay race. And what does a relay race look like? It combines, I love it because it combines all the best elements of sport. It combines athleticism, for sure. It's, it's great to have, you know, you definitely want to have your fastest people that are running that. Um, but, you know, it also takes collaborative teamwork. And so it all kind of works together. How does it work? As the lead sprinter takes off with the baton, before the race ever happens, they set marks to where they know that the next guy who's going to take the baton, he doesn't like stand there and then they run up and then they hand it and another guy. No, they take off and they want to be able to hit their full stride. They reach back. They don't have to even look back. They just put the hand back. The next guy puts it in his hand and man, he's gone. They shouldn't even have have to slow down. But here is what you know. Whenever that's happening there, you know, you could have, I mean, it takes teamwork. You can have the most athletic team, but if the exchange of the baton does not happen right, you will not win the race. You'll lose. You can have the most gifted runners. You can have the most talented team. But if they don't know how to pass the baton, you're going to find this. I mean, the best track coaches will tell you that the race is won and it is lost in the passing of the baton. I mean, that is critical. If you, if you pass it outside of a certain area, or if you fumble it or drop it or whatever, you're disqualified. You don't win. You can have the best, but if you don't know how to pass it, you're going to lose. So we talked last week about how there's been those who have gone before us. They've gone before us, and they have run their race faithfully. They have passed the baton to us, or we wouldn't even be here today, right? We have received the baton, and now it is in our care. They were bearing faithful witness to Christ, and now now it is in our charge. It's in our care. Here's what I'm going to do today, church. We have a charge and a responsibility to run our leg of the race. There's no doubt about that. We talked about going the distance in our own faith last week. We talked about, for some of us, maybe we get sidetracked in our race for whatever reason, and we hope to kind of get you back on track and to get you up running if you were discouraged and to get you running your leg in the race again. And we understand that that is so important, but we also have to understand that as we are running our individual race, there is something incredibly significant and important that we have to grasp. And here's what it is. We've been entrusted with the baton now, which also means we are responsible for faithfully passing the baton to those who are coming up behind us. We have got to pass the baton faithfully, not fumble it, drop it, not think it will magically transfer into their hands. But we want to finish our race strong and never miss a stride. We don't want them to, you know, miss a stride. We want them to receive the baton of the gospel. And that baton is like the gospel, you know, as we're passing that along to them. Now, we're talking about going the distance as a family, going the distance with your family. And I love being a parent. Man, I have some incredible kids. I have an 18-year-old son, and I have a 12-year-old daughter. She's sitting up here. And, uh, and I have wonderful kids. And they're not perfect kids, but they're awesome kids. And I love being a parent. How many of you are parents? Would you raise your hands here today? Just lift them up. Okay, lift them up high. Um, how many of you are grandparents? Would you raise your hands? Keep them up high. We have a lot of grandparents as well. A lot of parents, a lot of grandparents here in our church. So this applies to everyone. How many of you had a parent? Okay, would you raise your hand? Okay, you're in. Okay, you're in on this. You're, 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 this is for everybody, okay? Now, I love being a parent, but I'm going to admit something to you. It's a little scary being a parent in this, in this age in which we're living today. It is scary, man. It's scary when you consider the world in which we live and the brokenness of the world around us. And yes, we grew up in brokenness as well. But our world is certainly becoming less and less kid-friendly, is it not? I mean, the world in which we live is so much. How many of you would just agree with me that the world in which, and I'm a Gen Xer, and so I grew up kind of in the, in the 80s and, you know, 70s and 80s, and so I'm a Gen X uh, kid, but how many of you would, even if you're Gen X, even some of you older than that or whatever, even some of you maybe that you're more a 90s kind of person, you would even recognize this, that the world in which our kids are growing up in now is vastly different than the world in which we were growing up in. Amen? 
I mean, it is scary different, is it not? When you think about the fact that, and I think about my, my daughter, I think about my son, we did not as kids growing up in my generation have to even deal with or think about the implications or even the idea of what something like, and let me give you an example, same-sex marriage might be or look like, right? I mean, we didn't, that wasn't something that I was dealing with as a child, And trying to understand that or as a parent, that my parents were having to talk to me about that. It's a different world. Our culture is in this slide in its morals. Now, it's always been morally corrupt, but it's sliding even further. It's in this downward spiral in its morals. I mean, my kids are, uh, you know, are having to deal with different kinds of things that that it's just, uh, you know, I can't imagine having to deal with some of the things that they deal with today or the barrage or the blitz of information that they are given every single day by the, by just their access to the Internet. OK, and and how the Internet has become just a part of and a way of life for us. There's a lot of good use in it. But we also know this, that there is information overload that our kids are having to process on a regular basis and some of it is not good stuff or I even think about this how different things are socially okay uh and that now there is social networks that they are having to learn to navigate not only just have it but learn how to navigate the impact that that has on relationships I mean we didn't have that right you went to school you saw your friends you might see them on the weekend you came home you were kind of with your family you might hang out a little bit maybe after school or whatever but now this, like we all can be in a room together and not really even be in a room together, right? Where we're all on our phones or we're all on our iPads or whatever it may be. And so there's, it's just a different world. It's a scary world in which our kids are growing up in. There's a NYU professor named Dr. Neil Postman who wrote a book. And this book was actually written in the 90s. But he wrote a book called The Disappearance of Childhood. It's an interesting book. And it examines how childhood is so different for kids today, even opposed to, let's say, 20 years ago. How, how rapidly our society has changed, even in a 20-year period, with the emergence of the Internet Parents are no longer totally in control of the information that's passed along to their children, especially in the earlier stages of their life. When they were when when we were younger or when kids are younger, you know, it it used to be it was a little easier to kind of control information that they might receive. And now it's not as easy. I mean, everything is invited into our house on a regular basis. And so we have to really be diligent and vigilant to be certain that, you know, that proper things are being viewed or, or, or proper things are happening. And our children are often, what, what Postman would say is they are overexposed to things that their minds and their emotions and even their, their bodies are not equipped to handle. They're not equipped to handle some of the things that they are exposed to. Consequently, they are hurried along into massive temptation, massive temptations, which they are not prepared to deal with. And our culture in, in this rapid decline in decency, rapid decline in what is modest, rapid decline in self-restraint or moral absolutes. Postman says this, and I quote him. He says, in having access to the previously hidden fruit of adult information, they, speaking of children, are expelled from the garden of childhood. This is his thesis. This is his hypothesis is that is that it's almost as if and this isn't just kind of coming from a Christian viewpoint as if as if the childhood has been removed from many children. I mean, in fact, you can just kind of look at at kids today and we see that we often treat them as little adults. Do we not? We dress them as little adults. Many of them are dressed like adults. We they talk like adults. Some of the things that they say, it's like adults. Their sports have often become like the the seriousness of what adults would experience in sports. It's like we've tried to turn that generation into little adults. And what Postman would say is that he would say that they have been robbed. Many of them have been robbed of their childhood. They are forced into growing up much faster in this world and into things that their minds and their emotions are not prepared to handle. They're not prepared for it. 
If you're a parent, you know this. I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know. We are well aware of the challenge. Thanks, Bart, for reminding me of how difficult it is to parent, right? So what are we up against, all right? We're up against certainly our environment that I was just speaking about. Postman would talk about that in the book. Um, Our kids are growing up also with this against them. Our own personal failures as parents, and I've got plenty of them. Man, I struggle, and sometimes I can be overly critical and overbearing, and sometimes I can be impatient or just say dumb things. Here's a failure that I have as a parent. I can get very preoccupied. I can be one of those that's present in the room and not present with my kids. I have to really guard for that. And, and, and so we all mess it up. We all blow it in this area. So they also are dealing with our own personal failures as parents. But here's something else that they are dealing with and and they kind of have going against them is their own sin nature. Okay. And you say, well, not my little angel, Pastor Bard. Come on. What are you talking about? Not my little ones. Did I, have I mentioned to you that my wife is an elementary age teacher? Have I mentioned that to you? Okay. It is a different world. Some of the things that Hope has told me that, that will, you know, that she finds out that those kids, and she's a second grade teacher, that they have been exposed to and the things that not only they've been exposed to in their environment, but some of the actions that some of these kids uh, at an early on would do. And you'd say, well, I just don't know about kids being sinners. Well, the Bible says that we're all sinners. The Bible says we're born with a sin nature. Um, and, and so we're all sinners. And that includes, yes, even your precious little angel. You know, they have a sin nature as well. You say, I don't know, Bart. All you need to do is realize this. They are little versions of you. Okay. And so when you recognize that, then you go, all right, I get it. They are little sinners. Those suckers have a proclivity towards sin, don't they? Have you noticed you don't have to teach them how to lie? You don't have to teach them how to take something that's not theirs, how to fight. You don't have to teach them how to do these things. It comes natural for them. We actually, what we have to do is teach them how not to do those things. Why? Because we have a bent toward sin. So they have environment, personal failures. They have their own sin nature that's working against them. And I'm not telling you all these things to discourage you and say, man, I don't know if I can run this race. I'm not telling you those kinds of things to discourage you. What I'm bringing these things up for is to remind us and awaken us, if necessary, to the greatness of the spiritual responsibility that every single one of us has in intentionally passing the baton of the gospel message of Jesus along to the kids that are growing up behind us. Let me ask you just a straightforward question, okay? How many of you would say that Jesus Christ has changed your life and that he is truly the only hope that you realize that you have in this messed up, jacked up world. How many of you would say that's true about you? Okay. I mean, Jesus is our only hope, right? Is he not our only hope? He is our only hope. Well, well, let me just say this. Do you realize this, that Jesus Christ is also the only hope that your kids have? Just as he is the only hope in your own life, he is the only hope in their life. I I, I hate to break it to you, but you're not their only hope. There's going to be a time where you're not going to be there or a time where you might fail or a time where you might go away or listen, you're going to die. You know, there are things that you, that your child's life has to have something that transcends you. There has to be that in their little lives. Something that goes beyond even you. And the gospel message of Jesus Christ is the answer to what can ground them in this world that is so deeply messed up. And I would say not only is it able to impact their lives in which they live maybe 60, 70, 80, if they're lucky, maybe 90 years. But we also need to understand that the gospel is what also will impact where they will spend eternity. And we have to understand that that is for our children just as much as it is for us. I want to say this, okay? 
teaching kids how to fundamentally and properly uh, field a ground ball or how to bump, set, and spike or how to play the right chords on a guitar. There's nothing wrong with those kinds of things. Those things are good things. They're fun things. There's nothing bad with those things. Have a blast doing that. But as a parent... Of a child, we must take into consideration when we're looking at the overall life of the child, what is going to be eternal in their life, what is going to be eternal? What is going to go beyond ball or music or, or those things? And I'm not, I'm not knocking those things. I love those things, okay? What is going to last? There's nothing wrong with those activities. They're there to be fun in our lives. But let me say this. They are not there to rule our lives and our families. And when that becomes the case, it becomes a dangerous thing that starts happening in our lives. Those things can very easily become gods in our family, gods in our life. We have to get in our minds that the most life-changing thing that we can pass along to our children is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the message of the gospel. We've been saying it week after week. Why? Because Jesus is what changes everything. Jesus changes everything. I think it's important that we let scripture establish what matters most and not just a pastor's opinion about this. What is our primary priority as a parent? What matters most in scripture? I said, turn to Deuteronomy chapter six, but I want to look first in Ephesians six and we'll go to Deuteronomy in a few moments. Before we read these passages together, I think I would be hard pressed to find in any of the services today, a parent or a grandparent that raised their hands that would say, man, I don't want the best for my kids. I mean, we all want the best for our kids, right? We want them to experience a a wonderful fruitful life, enjoy life, to to have the fullest kind of life that they can have, loving life and a long, healthy, meaningful existence. And, And I know I want that for my kids. I want that for my daughter. I want that for my son. I want that for my grandkids I'll have one day, Lord willing. Why? Why is it that we want that and want the best for them? We know what the motive is. It's a pure motive. What is it? It's love. We love them. We're absolutely crazy for them. We'd do anything for them. We'd die for them, would we not? Question is, will we live for them, right? Will we live biblically for them? Because that's what they need more than anything. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. Not our main text, but just let's look at it. You'll see a New Testament reference to this as well as Old Testament reference. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that today. But he says this. I want to ask us to read this out loud together. Read it out loud with me. Say it. Let's all participate. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. What that means, it means establish them, train them is another way it translates, train them. You train them, it says. You bring them up. You don't pass them off to somebody else to do that. It's your primary responsibility to be certain that you are the primary discipler of your kids. It's not Kyle's job to be the only discipler. He's a supplement. Kyle's our student pastor. It's not Pastor Dustin and our children's workers' jobs. They're to supplement what's already happening. They're to reinforce what's already happening within your home. Okay? By the way, back when Paul was writing this, there were no youth groups. There were no youth pastors. You know, that wasn't around. And so it, it, it starts within the home. Our greatest priority as a parent is to, is to disciple our kids, is to bring them up in the training. I love the way that, that the message reads in this. He says, fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them is what he says. But I like this, but take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. I want you to notice he doesn't say you drive them in the way of the master. It doesn't say that, does it? You take them by the hand yourself and you lead them in the way of the master. That's what he says. 
you lead them in the way of the master. Our responsibility is, is to be sure that, 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 that our children know what it means to be in an authentic and loving relationship with the one true God. Why do we want that for our kids? Because we know how much it has changed our lives and we love them and we want what's very best for them. By far, the very best thing we can ever do for them is establish them and ground them in a relationship with God. Here's a key thought for you. The most loving thing you can do for your kids is to take them by the hand and to lead them in the way of the master. You take them by the hand. You be the parent. You don't let them drive you. You lead them in the way of the master. Because here's what you got to know, folks. We talk a lot about the brokenness of our world. We talk about how messed up it is. I see many uh, 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 of you who go through some of the most difficult and tragic and terrible circumstances because of the brokenness of the world. Our family has gone through tragedy uh, in the loss of loved ones and stuff like that. But we have to understand this, that just as you have gone through those kinds of things, you need to understand your kids are going to go through it as well. And if all your kids are getting is, is how to build their house on a culture of, of shifting sand that goes whatever way the culture goes, what does Jesus say about a house that is built on shifting sand? When the storm comes, not if it's going to come, it's going to come and it's going to hit your kids at some point in their life, just as you have dealt with it in your life. When, not if it comes, what happens if it's not built on something solid like Jesus? The house what? It crumbles. It falls down. The most loving thing you can do is to train your children up in the way of the master, to lead them. Now, Paul's going to talk about in in chapter 6, verse 4, he's going to talk about not provoking them unto anger. I'm not going to spend time on that except to say this. There is a great relationship in provoking them to anger and, and not properly leading them in the way of the master. Here's what I mean by that, and here's what I think Paul can mean in this to some degree. Now, there's other ways to provoke them unto anger and exasperate them, but I think one of the greatest things that produces a lot of anger in children is this, is when maybe you're driving them in the way of the master, and you're not willing to live it out yourself, and what do they detect within you? A great deal of hypocrisy. And you want to talk about establishing an angry child at that point? That becomes angry when it's all about just do what I'm telling you to do and they don't see it in any kind of way within the home. Many of you, maybe you grew up like that. And it was all about maybe just going to church and it was all about religion and it was all about stuffy churchy kind of stuff that will never change anybody's life in any kind of way. It was never about a relationship with Jesus Christ. You want to talk about provoking your children unto anger? That will make them pretty angry. Whenever they see that it's hypocritical, they'll see it wasn't real in my mom and dad's life. I don't, you know, it was maybe something out of, out of convenience. It was casual. It was never one of conviction. And, and here's what I've also detected. I've detected this. You cannot kid a kid about your faith. Man, they can cut through the bull in a heartbeat. Can they not? They detect hypocrisy faster than anybody else. Let me tell you how I know that. I was teaching my son how to drive this past year, okay? And man, I I would tell Luke, now you got to go the speed limit here, Luke, all right? You got to be sure you're going the speed limit. You got to be sure you use your turn signal. When I'm riding in the car and I'm driving with that sucker now, he picks out and nitpicks everything I'm doing wrong. They can detect hypocrisy very quickly, can they not? And so now I always do the speed limit and I always use my turn signal when Luke's in the car, you know, but no, seriously, but they can detect it and you can't kid a kid about your faith. Now, Paul's not going to go into great detail about how to pass the baton here, but Paul certainly was aware. And so were these other Jews that he would speak to of, of this great passage in Deuteronomy chapter six that gives practical instruction for someone like me and someone like you to know how to pass the baton in stride. How do we do that and not miss a beat? Let me give you a touch of context of chapter 6 in Deuteronomy. A, a touch of context. If you were to go back into chapter 5, you'd find that Moses has just revealed to the nation of Israel the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not given as a beat down. They were given as guidelines and boundaries to enhance life. 
they were given as a, through, with a motive of love to, to help these people know how to relate to God and to help them know how to relate to one another. And so boundaries were provided. These boundaries were also given to show us that we are incapable of fulfilling them. We are sinners. We are, we then recognize how much we need Jesus Christ. That's another reason that they were given. Okay. And so they, they show us that we need Christ and his forgiveness in our life because we just can't totally keep them on our own. So Moses is going to charge these parents. He's going to go to the parents here. He's going to talk to the grandparents and he's going to charge them to pass the baton of faith. He's going to challenge them. I love this passage with great responsibility. He's going to talk about their responsibilities. He's going to talk about the blessing that comes with having a, a, a God-centered family. And whenever that is the center of your life, that God's hand of blessing is upon that. We want that on our families, right? We want that in our, on, in our kids' lives. Then he's going to give them some practical instruction on how to do that and go the distance. And now among our Jewish friends, this passage we're about to read is what is known as the Shema. The word Shema is a Hebrew word. It means the word, it, it's the word hear. You're hearing this way, not like you are here. It's hearing, okay? And, and the reason it's called hear is, uh, or Shema is because that's how this passage starts is with the word hear, okay? So they would open this in their synagogue. They would recite it over and over again. It also would be recited by, uh, as a, a family would come together. They would recite the Shema two or three times a day. They would constantly kind of saturate their families with this truth. Why do you think they had to constantly saturate their family with this truth because we are very quickly and prone to get away from it. And it's a reminder over and over again to, to do these things that we're going to talk about. Okay. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse one, this is not yet the Shema. This is the context leading up to it. And here's what it says. These are the commands that he just, just gave to them in chapter five, the decrees and the regulations that the Lord, your God commanded me. Moses is saying, God gave me these to give to you. Okay. To teach you. And he's talking to the parents and he's talking to the grandparents to teach you. And now he's talking to them. Now you must obey them in the land that you are about to enter and that you are about to occupy. They were about to be moving into the promised land. And God is setting up these boundaries in their lives because they're so prone to sin and they're so prone to idolatry. And God is setting this up. They were going into a major transition, kind of like our church is going into a major transition. And one of the transitions that they were going to be experiencing was they were going to be experiencing great prosperity. They were going to be blessed. He's going to say to them, if you were to keep reading this, you're going to benefit from wells you did not dig. You're going to benefit from vineyards you did not plant. There's going to be great affluence that you're going to experience. Have you noticed when we are greatly blessed, it's easy to forget the resource that that came from. And so here's what he's saying. I want to remind you of where it comes from and who is to be first in your life. So he says next in verse two, and you parents and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord, your God. That means you have a healthy reverence, a respect for God. It's not fearful in the sense that he doesn't want to be in relationship with you, but it's a healthy reverence. That you must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. Now notice the condition here. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Now that's not saying that every single person is going to live over a hundred or whatever. But, but what the principle is, is that life is going to be more enjoyable. Your life is going to be more blessed when God is the center of your life and the center of your family. That God's hand of blessing is upon that. He blesses that. It doesn't mean your family's going to be perfect. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. But God blesses that kind of that that kind of commitment to God being the center of your life. Don't we want our kids to enjoy a fruitful and productive life? What's the most loving thing we can do for them? Is to pass the baton of faith along to them. It's to be sure that they get this. Now, he's going to go on and say in verse 3, listen closely. Now, isn't it interesting? He's really zeroing in. He's really trying to get their attention, which would say we need to pay careful attention to this. Listen closely, Israel. That's hear, O Israel. That's the beginning of the Shema. 
and be careful to obey. Again, notice the language. He's using this this language of warning, so to speak. Be careful to obey. Now notice what it says next. Then all will go well with you and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, those who came before you, just as he promised you. So how do we pass the baton? We see the responsibility of it as parents and grandparents. We see the challenge of it. We see what we're up against in the environment and and our failure and our kids' own sin nature. And we also see the blessing and the benefit of it. There's great blessing. So how do we go the distance with our family? I'm going to give you a couple things practically to take away from this, okay? The first thing is this. This first things are first. How do I go the distance with my family? Number one, I must first develop my own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That has to be the most important thing in my life. Not my job, not, not another person, not, you know, uh, you can't even make your child even the most. Your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ is going to bring the greatest blessing to your family and to your kids when you work at cultivating that. It's kind of like this. Whenever, uh, whenever you get on an airplane, what do they tell you when the oxygen mask, if it were to come down and, and there, that we lose pressure in the cabin, what do they say if you have children? They say, do they say, put it on your kids first? What do they tell you to do? You put it on yourself first. You get yourself right so you can adequately and properly take care of your kids. And, that, and, and that's what's being said here. He says here that, that, that to, to go the distance, you've got to first cultivate your own walk with God. Guys, listen, we cannot lead our children where we are not first going ourselves. We say, man, I want my kids to love God. I want my kids to have a blessed life. I want my kids to experience the benefit of relationship with Christ. I'm going to drive them there. No. What did Paul say? Take their hand, lead them in the way of the master is what he's saying. You take their hand and you lead them in the way of the master. What our kids need more than anything is not stuffy, churchy religion. What they need is a real and thriving and authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? You may have grown up in in kind of churchy, stuffy religion, and you're saying, man, I don't want my kids to experience that. Then don't let them experience that. Show them what it means to really love Jesus. Show them what it means to be in deep relationship with Christ. What will impact our children more than anything is when they see with their own little eyes, and I'm looking at my little girl, when they see with their own little eyes a mom and a dad that have deep convictions about their love for Christ. Or a mom and dad that may not be perfect, but the kids, as they can detect hypocrisy, can look at us and detect that that is legit in my mom and dad's life. It's real. I've seen it when they go through difficulties. I've seen it in their lives whenever times are good and they remain faithful. I've seen how they can be generous. I've seen how they love people. I've seen how they sit with their Bibles open and they'll have their own personal quiet time before they ever deal with anybody in the family. Because they know that more Jesus in our own personal lives is going to help me be a better parent to my child. They see that kind of stuff. They see us in our life groups studying the Word of God together. They see us leading them to corporate worship and making that a priority in our lives, not a time of convenience, but that it's a conviction that we have. Okay. They see that it's legit. And we say, man, I want my kids to love Jesus. I want them to be blessed. I want them to have their house built on something solid and grounded. And what Paul and Moses would both say to you and to me is it starts with us. It starts with me. It starts with you. It doesn't start with the kids. It starts with us. Chapter four or chapter six, verse four. Now here's where the Shema begins. Listen or hear, O Israel. Now look at where he's going to start, parents. Listen, O Israel. Listen, O parents, is what we could say to us today and apply this in our own lives. The Lord, that is Jehovah, the one true God. 
The Lord is our God. The Lord, everybody say it with me. The Lord what? Alone. Why do you think he starts with this, this idea of we need to establish that there's only one God in this family? Why do you think he starts with that? Are we not prone to bringing idols in our lives and into our families? Absolutely. By the way, the Ten Commandments start with what? They just talked about the Ten Commandments. What do they start with? You shall have no other what? God's before me. It starts with a relationship with God. If you follow the progression of the Ten Commandments, you'll find it starts with God and then it goes to fellow man. We want to definitely be all about teaching them how to relate to other people. But you know what's going to help them in their relationships with other people more than anything else? Their relationship with God. God being first in our lives. God being, having the conviction that we will have no other gods before us. We talked about idolatry a few weeks ago when we were talking about what it means to be a healthy church. We were talking about worship and we all worship something. You are a worshiper of something. And it's either the one true God or it's other things. And what is an idol? An idol is anything that comes before or gets in the way of our personal relationship with Christ. Can be all kinds of things. Can be material possessions. Can be an addiction that that we turn to. Can be a relationship, a job. It can be ourselves where we worry and we think that we're the answer to things. All kinds of things. It can be our kids. It can be our kids' activities. Moses is starting with the premise that you cannot have uh, two masters. And by the way, Jesus would echo that. You cannot have or serve two masters. You will love one and hate the other. That's what he said. That's what Jesus said. Now, here's what he's going to say. Jesus, what he's saying is is that we have to determine with strong conviction that our relationship with Christ, I'm not talking about church attendance. I'm not, I think that's important, but I'm talking about it transcending even church attendance. I'm talking about it being real in you. Where it transcends just, you know, activities that even can become idols in our lives. Your top priority, he's saying, is that you will have no other gods before me. No other gods. And now he's going to tell us what we are to do in response to that. Next, notice the progression. And you, parents and and grandparents, must love the Lord your God with, what's the word? What's next? All, not some, all of your heart. All of your soul, all of your strength, that's mind, will, emotions, body, all of that. And you must, now there's a word here, commit yourselves. Now notice the next word. What does it say? Wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly, not conveniently, wholeheartedly, he says, to these commands that I'm giving you today. So if we want to pass along our faith... In all of our, and love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He doesn't say love him just when it's convenient. Love him just kind of in a casual kind of way. Um, love him just maybe 90 minutes on a, on a Sunday morning one time a week as if that's going to greatly, you know, impact, uh, you know, and it's important to be here, but that's not going to bring the biggest life change in your kids and in your family. It's going to just reinforce what you should already be telling them. And what I want to tell you today that I think that one of the most dangerous things that we can do as parents is to expose our kids to just a little bit of God, just a little bit of God, as if a little bit of God is kind of just another slice in the pie of life that's on equal ground with all their other little activities in their life. I really believe that that is one of the most dangerous things that we can do with our kids. Look at it like this. On Friday, I got a flu shot. When you go to get a flu shot or a shot like that, what do they do? They, uh, they, uh, what do they put in your body? I know a smart aleck would say a needle. Okay. Well, what's in the needle that goes into your body? It's a little bit of the flu. It's a dead virus, you know, but it's a little bit of the flu. I made sure of this before I came on Sunday. I asked the lady, I said, are you putting a little bit of flu in me? She said, that's what we're doing. Putting a little bit, it's a dead virus. And what it, the intent is, is to have a little bit of it and it should build up the immunity in your body, which makes you immune to all of it. And what I think happens with many of us is because our our culture, you know, maybe we just anticipate that our kids are going to be Christians because we live in the South and it's a cultural kind of thing and it's more cultural and casual than it is, and I'm talking about the Christian faith, than it is convictional. And when I say conviction, I'm not speaking in a negative sense, but that we actually live by the convictions of our faith. 
that they are convictions that we will abide by, that we will not compromise on because our culture tells us to compromise. That we'll not just have a little bit of God when it's convenient because what I think happens is when we give them just a little bit of God and they don't see that it's real and life-changing, do you know what it does? I think in a lot of ways it kind of, it's like getting a little shot. And it's like kind of makes them immune to all of the greatness and the glory of God that they could experience. And it just kind of becomes a casual kind of thing in their life. I really believe this. And I want you to hear this. I believe that casual Christianity is killing the church in America. There should be a big amen right there. I'm going to say it again, okay? Casual Christianity is killing the church in America. Amen. It is, folks. It's killing it. It's killing the church in America. It's so completely different than the kind of faith that Jesus called us to in following him. What did he say? He said, take up your cross, die to self, you know, daily. Take up your cross, follow me. He called for us to lose our life. Does that sound like a convenient kind of faith? No way, man. The kind of faith it is, is it is all in. I'm all in. And it's and, and our culture, everything is so contrary to the kind of Christianity that is that is lived out in many homes today. This is so contrary to this. The scripture teaches us we should love God with all of our hearts. The way to have the greatest eternal impact on your child and to go the distance with your family is to live out before your children and your grandchildren. By the way, grandparents, you may be the only godly influence that your kids ever have. So this is important for you. This is for you too. It's to live out a Christianity of conviction. And Paul and Moses would say, it starts with us. Starts with us. You lead them in the way of the master. No other gods before me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God alone. No other idols. We have to really work hard to live this out in the real world. Why? Because I'm in the same real world you're in. And man, everything is vying for attention in my family. Everything is crowding in, seeking to be an idol in my life. And we, we want the best opportunities for our kids. And so because we are well-intentioned, we get them involved in everything. And soccer and ballet and baseball and gymnastics, music lessons. And the list could go on and on. You guys know the routine. I'm doing the same things that you guys are doing and battling with. We know our family is not immune to this stuff. And it's a battle that we have to be careful that those things do not become gods in our family. That they're just supplements to life. That they're not life. There's supplements to it, and, and, and those things are not bad in and of themselves. They're mostly well-intentioned, good things. But before you know it, you tell me this isn't the truth, we can become child-centered families and child-centered parents rather than God-centered families and God-centered parents. What I'm discovering about this is in our community and folks all over, it's just become cultural is that most of our most of our lives revolve around our children's activities. I mean, it's just true. Rather than living lives that revolve around God. I'm not saying don't be involved in activities. I'm just saying be careful it doesn't become your God. Because it can. And we can, instead of leading them in the way of the master, we can very easily lead them into idolatry. It is so easy to do this. Before you know it, that can happen. We expose them to a little bit of God. I think of, a, of one gentleman that, that was a part of EBC a while back, and he's a great guy, and he loved the Lord, and still I believe he loves the Lord, but he really struggled, really struggled. And, 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 and I ran into him one day um, out, in, out in the community, and he's a great family man, loves his family. And I ran into him, and we were talking, you know, and when I would run into him, and I would just let him know, and, 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 and this is not about a church attendance thing, but I would just let him know, hey, miss you, man. I haven't seen you in a while. You guys doing okay or whatever? And I know he would hate seeing me out in the community. He would dodge me like some of you dodge me, right, okay? And I would see him, and I would just try to love on him. Really, I really would just try to love on him. I, I wasn't trying to be overbearing. I would just try to just love and pastor him. And, and one time we got to talking and he said, Bart, he said, man, I, I know that, that, you, that you guys love us. We're not coming, not because we don't, you know, um, you know, someone hasn't made us mad. It's nothing like that. And then he just started talking about life. And I understand. He said, man, it's just, life's just so busy. 
We're just so busy. And the only day of the week we ever get any downtime is Sunday morning. We're just so tired. We just don't feel. And then he uttered these words, and I could tell he was sorry he ever even said it. He said, we're just too busy for church. And, and I, I just said, man, I'm really sorry to hear that. We just really love you. We really miss you or whatever. And we kind of left it at that. I keep praying for him. I, when I see him in the community, I keep pastoring. I keep loving him. You know, I don't, I'm not judging him. And he said, when things slow down, we'll get back in. I know we will. And can I tell you, there were some thoughts that went through the back of my mind at that moment. Number one, here's what you need to hear. Number one, it's never going to slow down. Not in this culture. Number two, we make time for things that are important to us. And number three, we are modeling what is important in front of our kids. Now, let me tell you, this happened years ago. Now, earlier this year, I ran into this gentleman. Actually, it was within the last year. I ran into him again, and I ran into him at a football game. And he was probably trying to dodge me again or whatever. But I was actually in the restroom at one of the football games, and I was the only one in there. And he walks in, and when he sees me, let me tell you what happens. He breaks into tears in the restroom right there. Tears are streaming down his face. I have that effect upon people. They cry when they see me. And I was going, this is awkward. You're crying. A man with another man in a restroom, you're crying. And I, and I don't know what to do. I hadn't even washed my hands yet. I, you know, I was just like, and he just started telling me, and basically he started pouring his heart out to me. And he said, you know what? I made some terrible, terrible mistakes. His kids are older now. They're grown. They're in college now. And he said, my everything in the world is coming against my kids. I established them and how to field a ball. But he said, I am regretting so much that I did not make leading them in the way of the master. He didn't use that, but that's what he was talking about, a priority. And so it was, it was really very awkward, okay, as we're in the restroom. And um, another man walks in, sees him crying, sees me standing there. He walks back out. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man, can we talk about this outside? <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is that is that there was a man who kind of went down that road and would even say, I believe he would even say today, I made a mistake. And it's not about sports activities or music activities. I'm not saying those things are bad. All I'm saying is let's, let's strive towards those things not becoming gods to us and to our families. Amen? Because here is the thing, someday, listen to me, sports is going to go away. I don't know what the whistle, if that enhances that or what. Kind of ruined the effect of that moment. Someday, I never thought that it would go away from me. And let me tell you, I, I mean, I was all about the sports growing up. I was all about it. And it, it. It went away one day for me. And when it went away, can I tell you something? I was so absolutely lost. So if you're training them up in sports and in activities and all that, you just be sure it doesn't become a God. You, you don't tell them that basketball is life or baseball is life or music is life. You tell them Jesus is life. And you live it in front of them. And you let them see that in you, the conviction, okay? I got to wrap this up, okay? Um, here's, the, here's the final thought. The final thought is I must be intentional. Intentional in leading my family spiritually. Can I tell you something? It is not going to happen by osmosis. The transfer of the baton is not going to happen magically just appearing in their hands. Just as it doesn't happen in a real, a real relay race, there has to be intentional passing off, an intentional putting in their hands. You have to, one has to receive it. One has to give it there. You must be intentional in leading your family spiritually. It starts with you and then you lead them to the way of the master. Just as intentional as you must be in teaching them how to field a ground ball and how to bump, set, spike. It takes mechanics. It takes training, all that. What if we were as intentional in training our kids in, the, in what it means to have a real relationship with God 
and what that looks like to know how to love Jesus and how to deal whenever with life when it gets lonely or when it gets difficult. What does it mean to pray? What does it mean to, to have a quiet time or a Bible study? What, how do you do that? Dad, what do I do whenever I'm tempted sexually? What do I do when I'm tempted? We're equipping them for life, Right? The greatest thing you can do for your kids is to lead them in the way of the master. You lead them, you say, well, that's Pastor Bart, that's your job, or that's Kyle's job, or, or, or that's Dustin's job. And, 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 and I don't have time to show a video to you that I was going to show you, but the, but the main gist of the video is that you have, you have exponentially more opportunities to do that in your child's life than any of us do. And it's not the church's responsibility to be the primary discipler of your kids. The church's responsibility is to supplement and to reinforce and to say what your mom and dad is saying. That is right on. It's to reinforce and be a partner, a minor partner in what is already happening in your home. That is going the distance in your family. That's going the distance. So look at how he says to do it and and then we'll pray. Okay, look at this passage, though. Deuteronomy 6, 7. Look at what he's going to say, moms and dads and grandparents. You repeat them. That also translates impress them. You repeat them again and again to your children. You talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up and when you're driving in your suburbans to practice and when you're doing this and that. You tie them on your to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. You write them on the doorpost of your house and your gates. And yes, there should be intentional times for discipleship, but you know what I find more than anything right here? This is relational discipleship. This is you taking teachable moments as God provides them. It's you talking about what God's doing in your life. It's you talking to them when you see something that's not right and you explaining to them scripturally what it means. It's you saying, maybe this this is what I learned in the Bible today. Let me tell you what God... And you say, man, that is so awkward for me to have these conversations with my kids. Listen, the deeper you go in fellowship with Jesus Christ, you're going to find how natural it is for you to talk with your children about what it means to follow Jesus. If you're struggling with talking with your kids about what it means to follow Jesus, it ought to be a clue to you that something is off maybe in your relationship with God. And that you need to be sure that you're shoring things up with him and that it's just becoming an outflow of what's already happening in your life. So you can talk about things. You see something that's inappropriate on television and you say, we're not watching that. And then you can not just be the heavy. You can explain. Let me tell you why we're not watching that. Let me tell you what God says about that. Let me explain to you what God says about marriage being between a man and a woman. God says that. Let me explain to you where he says that. You see what I'm saying? You say, well, I don't know the Bible well enough. Well, hello. What do we need to be doing then? Studying the Bible, right? Beyond Sunday morning. Man, I'm getting fired up here, but I got to pray. All right. Crash landing. Let's take this to the Lord, okay? Let's take it to the Lord. Father, you are, you are so good. You are so kind. Lord, may we seize these opportunities that we have in leading our children in the way of the master. We want to go the distance in our families. I ask right now that your holy presence would speak to us, would challenge us. Lord, we don't need feel-good messages. We need something to get up in our face from time to time. And not to be ugly about it, but just, Lord, to bring conviction, Lord, so that we can be better parents to our kids. We need Holy Spirit conviction, not pastor conviction. So Holy Spirit, speak to us today. If we're not running our own race, Lord, speak to us. And may we get up and start running our leg of the race today. 
Lord, may we start studying in a sense of knowing how to pass the baton faithfully to our children, talking to them about it day in and day out. And the realness of it just becomes so evident to them, Lord, they would look and grow up and say, I want to have a family just like my mom and dad had. One that's real. One that went the distance. They weren't perfect, but they loved Jesus. This morning, as our heads are bowed, just reflect upon your own influence and your leadership and your grandchildren. The leadership with your children. And just ask yourself the hard question, am I spiritually leading my kids and my grandkids in the way of the master? Am I going the distance? Am I, have I passed the baton to someone else to pass to my kids? Or am I running with the baton and I'm going to be the one to put that baton of the gospel in their hands? This morning, if you're struggling with that and you would just say, Pastor Bart, would you just pray with me about about stepping up and being the leader that my family needs? Would you pray with me about this? Would you would you just ask God to help me? And I want to be that kind of person walking with God before my kids. Listen, there's no condemnation in here today. But if you just say, would you just pray with me today? Would you just lift your hands? I want to pray for you. I want to pray a prayer of just us being diligent, praying a prayer, just lift them up high. It's just an offering to God. God, I'm calling upon you to give me the fortitude to go the distance with my family. Let me just pray for those of you lifting your hands right now. Those of you whose hands are down, would you just join me in prayer for my brothers and sisters? Father, thank you for all the hands lifted this morning. I pray that as we draw close to you, that you would just overwhelm us with your love. That we would know how much you love us. And Lord, we would realize the greatest thing we can do for our kids is to, the greatest way we can love them is to show them who you are in our lives. Lord, we confess to you our faults as parents. We acknowledge we can't do this without you. We ask you for your help. We ask you for wisdom, for guidance. I pray for all parents today. I pray for single parents today. I pray for blended families. I pray for those who are praying for children one day, God, that you would place a holy anointing on our lives to sift through all the things that the world throws at us. To sift through and find the things that are of God and that are best for our families. Give us wisdom about what is to be the priority in our life. We fully surrender and depend upon you today. And it's in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said, hey, man, I love you. I'm so thankful to get to be pastor here. Pastor Randy.